Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. And today I'm joined by special guest, Mr. Evan Damerel himself of Locked On Cavs, as well as the creator of Write Down Euclid. And if you are not a subscriber to either one of those two, you are missing out on some very good content. <laughs> With that being said, man, how you doing, Evan? I'm great, man. You know, it's it's not snowing. Everyone kept telling me today it was supposed to snow in Cleveland. So fingers crossed. It's freakishly cold out, but hey. Life is good. The Cavs are doing okay. Uh, it's NFL trade deadline day, so we'll see what happens with the Browns. But other than that, man, like it's good to see the Cavs not making the news for the wrong reasons. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the floor to the Browns on that one. How are you though? I'm doing good. I mean, eight straight matchups against uh, playoff caliber opponents, you know, to begin the season. And I, I must admit, you know, I, I've been very high on the Cavs, you know, throughout the summer and whatnot, and to begin the season. But I would be lying if I told you I think the Cavs would be sitting here at four and four, you know, mm-hmm. to begin this season, especially with that rough, that brutal West Coast uh, West Coast trip. That was that was a doozy right there. And I'm glad to see them back on the East. But last night's win in particular, you know, it, it pointed out a couple of things and it's it's got me feeling really good. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. No, man, you're good. I was just going to say, you know, first time meeting up with Charlotte. You know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, they they really heavily featured Miles Bridges and he destroyed us. <laughs> it's yeah. not as if, you know, Cleveland is equipped to handle, you know, a wing like him, but they did their best in round one. Round two, I think you saw some defensive adjustments and they were able to make him, you know, a non-factor. Same with LaMelo Ball. You know, Melo Ball killed us on, on the defensive end last time out at five really nice steals. But uh, I'm just I'm just loving what I'm seeing, man. Um, who was your uh, your player of the game last night? Oh, gosh, this is a good play. I mean, the obvious pick is Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen was an absolute monster against Charlotte. You, you made a lot of good points on how the Cavs adjusted, especially. Um, I think J.B. Bickerstaff deserves a little bit of credit to and the coaching staff in general, because. Like you said, Miles Bridges really killed the Cavs in that first matchup, so it was. It was tough to watch. I, I I joke about this a lot on my show where he won NBA Player of the Week, and I think because of his performance against the Cavs, that's partially why. Um, yeah. 
Evan Mobley did a good job defending him, though. I think something that's really juicing me about the Cavs right now is the fact that Jared Allen is showing a little bit of switchability on the perimeter, too. And I think if you give that, like, one, two years of them yeah. getting seasoned Mobley and Allen, like, that's a pretty terrifying defensive tandem. And if, if Okoro keeps clicking like he has been defensively, like, yes, he may not grow much more offensively. Who knows? He's also super young, so I'm not willing to cast doubt on him yet. But just long story short, Jared Allen is probably my MVP pick, but Larry Markman played really well too. And he, he yeah. played, he used his God given abilities, which is weird to say because he's seven feet tall and you think he should be an absolute monster on the glass. But it's the European mentality, man. Yeah, it is. But I mean, it's that he played with his size. There's a game moments where he was posting up players. He had three blocks, which is impressive, especially considering it's Larry Markman, who's not yeah. known as a defensive stalwart. So. Yeah, man, I think it's it's a it's a mix between Mobley and Markin or sorry not Mobley, Allen and Markin, but Evan Mobley played well too. Uh, Garland looks sharp. I think it was crazy. Ricky Rubio had the best plus minus at plus twenty three, even though he was a non factor offensively. I yeah. think it's just it speaks volumes on how much of an impact he makes that you can't track tangibly, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good team win. Um, I've been looking at the stats a little bit. I think, like you said, it was a tough gauntlet. The first eight teams, like they're all playoff caliber teams. They played a team in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, they also played a team in the Western Conference Finals, saying Kawhi Leonard. But the Cavs are allowing teams to shoot about middle of the pack in terms of perimeter shooting right now, which is super encouraging considering who they're playing. So I hope a lot of this carries going forward. But right now, yeah, there's a lot of – positive vibes surrounding this team after they had their real first test of adversity completely agreed man i you know i don't think any Cavs fan would be uh you can't give anybody grief if you would think this team last year would probably be sitting around one and seven or oh and eight considering what they've just faced Mm -hmm. uh i don't think that's a an unfair statement to say that uh, what they've been able to do defensively just speaks volumes, especially in the half court. It's it's yeah. it's awesome. And um, for Markin in particular, who, you know, a lot of teams are picking on, um, he is not a natural small forward, especially at seven foot tall, but he is using his length to his advantage, I would like to think. He's always going to remain kind of a step behind some of the true yeah. Uh, true position, small forwards and power forwards out there. But if as long as he utilizes that length to his advantage, he can kind of offset that. And although the shots aren't falling at a huge clip, I think he led the team in attempts uh, last night. I think he went to, what is it, 7 of 19 uh, from the field. And he also led the team in three-point attempts as well, 2 of 8. They they are not dropping with a, a great rate. But just the, the threat of spacing – is is enough to draw guys attention out there and as you pointed to you know him finally working his way inside that is highly encouraging there's just you you would like to see some of those rebounding numbers go up a little bit more you know with his, with his size but i can't complain i mm-hmm. mean and for okoro as you're stating uh, i guess my question for you would be is is the role that he's in right now coming off the bench i think he's getting about 27 minutes although in four appearances um, is this an ideal role for him moving forward if Markinen continues to play the way he has? So I'm a big believer in Isaac Okoro. I think defensively he covers up a lot of the warts that the smaller backcourt has. Um, my, my buddy Justin Rowan, you've had him on here before. He He's really given me the idea of like you look at how a team like Portland or who's a bad example or Utah who's a great example of a smaller backcourt, then you surround them with size and you get – 
players who can play defense to kind of cover up the deficiencies of a smaller backcourt like a Donovan Mitchell. And I know Mike Conley's good good enough defensively, but it's still a smaller player. But you have like Ingles, you have Bogdanovich, you have Gobert just covering the back line. You also have Royce O'Neal in the Utah situation. So I understand kind of what the Cavs are doing. It's just the problem is, yes, Isaac is very good defensively. I think he still struggles with fouling at times. I think last year was a trial by fire where he had to go one night defending Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to the following night defending LeBron James and soon after that defending James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the same time. Like that's – I don't envy that at all. That's a gauntlet. Yeah, especially when your primary matchup is like Jetty Osmond in practices and scrimmages. Or that, that, that's a huge – no disrespect to Jetty who's been great so far for the yeah. Cavs this year. But yeah, I think just because offensively, Isaac – Still doesn't really look really refined. Uh, his biggest concern coming out of Auburn was that even though his shot wasn't totally broken, like the mechanics were there, they needed some tweaking and adjustments. He's just not a reliable threat in terms of three-point shooting. And I guess J.B. Bickerstaff more or less doesn't really look at this team positionally, if that makes sense. So he doesn't say, like, oh, okay, yeah, you're yeah. a point guard, you're a shooting guard, you're a small forward, power forward, center, blah, blah, blah. He firmly believes putting the five best players on the floor at any given moment. He calls them smalls and bigs. And I'm still figuring out where Isaac falls. I'm still figuring out where Jetty falls in this. But I know, like, if you have your Kevin Love, your Kevin Loves, your Jared Allens, your Larry Markins, your Evan Mobley's, those are your bigs. Your smalls are for sure Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Ricky Rubio. Um, I think maybe Jetty falls in the bigs because he plays power forward yeah. times. Maybe Isaac's yeah, just situational. a fluid player. Yeah, situational. So I it's weird because I don't think this three big lineup works. I think it's a fun offensive wrinkle. Um, we had Larry Nance Jr. on our show two, three years ago at this point, mm-hmm. And we asked him because soon after they debuted the three big lineup with him, Tristan and Kevin against Miami. And we asked him like, do you, did you guys know what you're doing? He's like, no, I'll be honest. We didn't know what we were doing, but thankfully Miami didn't know what we were doing either. So it worked. So uh, I'm a firm believer of the idea of, it's only weird if it doesn't work. And this is yeah. definitely weird, but it is working. So I can shut the voice up in the back of my head when I watch some unconventional basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to answer your question, until Isaac's shot's a little bit more refined, you have to find a justifiable reason to bench Laurie too. Because like you said, he led Indeed. the team in three-point attempts last night. Jetty led the team in terms of three-pointers made overall, but Laurie has three-point gravity. He provides spacing for Mobley to operate and Allen to operate. He provides spacing for Sexton Slash. He's a reliable pick-and-pop partner and even a pick-and-roll partner at times for Darius mm-hmm. Garland. Like, in theory, Larry Markin makes sense in this lineup. I wonder if they'll drag this out as long as possible. And maybe this is extra motivation for Isaac to refine things. So, I don't know, man. We'll see. I think him coming off the bench isn't a bad thing. I don't think it's an insult to him as a player because, again, it's not how if you start, it's how you finish. And Isaac has finished plenty of games for the Cavs when he has played so far. So I just think JV's trying to do what's best for their crown jewel rookie, which is Evan Mobley, and also just kind of make life easier for Colin and Darius as well because – and Jared. Like those four like really your core future that you want to build around, and then you just build around those four. I mean, that's a good way to put it, to be honest with you. And I think, you know, when you're talking about in terms of Okoro, I'm I'm a very I'm very high on him as well. But until he is able to provide something that offsets what marketing provides from a spacing standpoint, it's it's kind of hard to justify putting him in that starting lineup, especially, you know, they're in this weird spot right now where marketing is oversized. 
at the yeah. three and Okoro is undersized at the three. They don't really, you know, outside of many, maybe Jetty. I, I don't know if you have a true small forward on the roster that you can roll out there and rely upon to make threes. Um, you know, you, you, we saw Dean Wade line up there a few, a few times last season, and it was good to see him get some run last night with Kevin missing some time, but I just don't know, man. It's time will tell whether or not this is good for his development moving forward. I think mm-hmm. when you, when you heavily feature, you know, the likes of Ricky Rubio, you're taking the ball out of a hands in regards to him development, uh, developing as a facilitator. And I, I thought that was one of the key points, you know, heading into the season, you wanted to see, um, you know, how much he had progressed as a primary ball handler. Uh, but I just don't know if it's going to be there. But the crazy thing about it is it's not really affecting the team mm-hmm. just yet, all but in a small sample size. But just like you, man, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, this does not just just not feel right. But it's winning yeah. games. It's it's uh, it's one of those things until it stops working. You just I guess you got to keep throwing them out there. Yeah. It's been a very interesting start, though. No, it definitely has been. And the I, I don't know. Like you said, <laughs> it, until it stops working, I'm not going to question it much because JB seems hell-bent and determined to make this work too. Um, he he's he says some of the right things sometimes where he's like, yeah, we need to shoot more three-pointers and play at a faster pace. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that's the right thing. And then he follows that up with saying, like, well, I think we make our presence felt within on the interior. So I guess we're seeing a little bit of both where the Cavs are playing three bigs and making the presence felt in the interior in terms of Mobley and Allen and then maybe marketing as well if he feels like playing to his size. But, yeah, until it, until it stops working, until the bottom kind of gives out, which I don't know if it will because I think JV has a good feel for the polls of this team too. I think he's comfortable pulling the hook on a player who's not performing well. So yeah, we just saw that. Yeah. yeah. Like, like Uh, if Jetty Osmond is hot, you keep him in, but if not, you just say, all right, that's enough. Let's, let's see what Dean Wade's got for us. And if not, we'll go shorter and tighter on our rotation because it is wild to think that, Dylan Windler still hasn't cracked the rotation. I think maybe it's because conditioning-wise, he's still a little bit far behind. I, I still wonder if they're going to send him down to the charge now that, that they're back. That was going to be Cleveland. my next question. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, we can we go ahead and ask him, man. I, I love to talk some Dylan Windler because <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a I've moved on, but I still hope that he can provide meaningful basketball. It's yeah, it kind of gives you the same feeling that Kevin Love does at points. Yeah. You know, you're like you he's never gonna live up to the contract, but he can still provide some some very good basketball and stretches, which he has to begin the season. Um, in regards to Windler, man, the 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 opinion on him is still is still the jury on him is really still out. You know, he had some yeah. nice stretches last season. I think he hit it was one stretch in which he hit nine straight triples. Um, I think breaking or tying Kyrie's record. But um, he just cannot remain on the court. It's it appears that he's you know made of glass. But I'm still pulling for him, and I think mm-hmm. that if he is able to somehow crack the rotation, get on the court, he could develop into that guy that the Cavs so sorely need. You know, on the wing, he wouldn't. He would really just completely take away the the Cavs' inability to draft or trade for or sign a a scoring you know slashing wing. Uh, that they've just been missing since LeBron 
you know, and I'm not yeah. comparing, obviously I'm not comparing Winsler <laughs> to LeBron, but that wing has just been missed ever since. If Winsler could crack the rotation, it, it would be great to see that. What, yeah, what are yeah. your thoughts on him? Uh, see, so in theory, Dylan Winsler is really what the Cavs need in terms of just wing depth. Uh, he can, I, I say, this because there are folks who cover the draft that are a lot smarter at this than I am, but like rebounding, like absurd rebounding numbers is something you really should pay attention to in college. And Dylan, when their senior season, he averaged, really averaged double digit rebounds and he's great at rebounding at the next level too. So like he provides that he has size. And when I talked to, I did a feature on him when I was with Forbes when he was a rookie and he um, was just settling down to Cleveland. And I asked him like, well, what player he, he, LeBron James is his favorite player growing up. So he's like, it's really cool to play for the Cavs. He's like, this is honestly like one of the coolest things in my life. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, so what player do you compare yourself to? He's like, well, I don't compare myself to LeBron. I'm like, okay, at least we're keeping it honest. He's like, I, I kind of see myself in a Joe Ingles role where I can provide some defense and rebounding. I'm a bigger wing that can shoot and slash and even provide some tertiary playmaking as well. He's like, I think playmaking is an underrated ability and asset of my game. Um, my biggest complaint last year when he was healthy was I don't think he was properly utilized by the Cavs. JV used him as a slasher and a rebounder. And I'm like, run some double drag plays, run an elevator doors play for Dylan where you can just give right. him some easy looks from three because he has a pure shot. He, can he has pure yeah. mechanics. He can stroke it. And I think if he can showcase that, teams will have to respect his shot. And I think it'll make spacing a lot easier for the Cavs too. But like you said, he's just he's kind of made of glass. It's it's unfortunate. Um, it's frustrating. Like he's a player. A yeah, yeah. He's he's a player I root for a lot. Right. I just want him to be healthy because I can't imagine the f- mental, not just the physical toll rehab does, but I think of Andrew Luck a lot. Where Andrew Luck kept dealing with injury after injury. He said, "You know what? I'm done mentally. I just can't do this recovery process again." Where like I think I'm ready, and then I have another setback, so I'm retiring from professional sports. And I think of Dylan in that scenario, where you're like I keep fighting back to rehab from these freak injuries that just keep happening. Like, when is enough enough? Like, I worry about the mental toll it's taking on him. And he's by all accounts, he's doing okay, but just I think maybe. He hasn't cracked the rotation because he isn't in shape. And JB does lean on guys he trusts a lot too. And I think you're seeing a lot of that with the short rotation against Charlotte. Yeah. Like Dean, like Lamar Stevens did not touch the floor after kind of two bad games against the Lakers and the Suns. And Dean Wade played, but he hardly he played like think about eleven minutes, Sparingly. thirteen minutes yeah. against yeah against the Hornets. But he didn't have much of an impact other than one good cut and four boards. But like D or JB's one of his biggest downfalls, I guess you want to say, is he does lean on guys he trusts the most. Mm-hmm. In Memphis, the complaint was that he didn't lean on the younger guys. So Jaron Jackson Jr. hardly played under JB Picker staff, but kind of has no choice here. He has a ton of young players, so he's forced to play them. So I think if Dylan can go down and rehab with the charge a little bit. Maybe five games with them. I don't think there's any shame in that he's done it in the past. Um, he can show that he's in in-game shape because I talked with Jan, Dan Giroux, the new head coach, about this. It's a coach Dylan's familiar with, too, because Dan's been with Cleveland since, I want to say, 2015, the 2015-16 season when they won the championship. So, mm-hmm. like, Dylan has familiarity there. Like, get him comfortable. They're running the same system as Cleveland is. They're trying to do the same things the Cavs are, playing with a lot of bigs. Um, I think get him comfortable. Get him feeling good in his body again. And then maybe if JB sees he's in shape, can bring him along slowly and let him play. Like, I don't think the Cavs have anything to lose. Let's say 
you maybe take away some of Dean, or you just like sub Dean Wade out for Dylan Windler in this scenario, and you play Windler instead. Like, I don't think you have anything to lose there. And like again, like if he's not working, you pull the hook and you put Dean yeah. Wade in, or you give more minutes to Jetty Osmond. So, because yeah, like in theory, Dylan Windler answers a lot of the pro- questions and the problems the Cavs have. It's just he can't stay healthy, and it's unfortunate because the biggest what if is I still think about how. Shams Charania. This is this is a rumored story, but Shams Charania has tweeted originally that the Cavs drafted Kelvin Johnson with the twenty sixth pick, mm-hmm. and then they said, "Oh no, Cleveland's actually taking Belmont's Dylan Windler instead." Apparently, and this is the rumor, um, Golden State really wanted Dylan, and the Cavs just took it to the Warriors one last time. <laughs> of took course, Dylan instead, and now you look, Kelvin Johnson's playing pretty dang well for the Spurs, Dylan, yeah. and then Dylan Windler. Can't even get on the court. floor. Yep. Oh well. Yeah, that I mean, exactly. That sums it up right there. That size. It's just, you know, you wish the best for him. And he 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 looked very good his senior season at Belmont, as you alluded to. And he had some stretches last year where he played very well. They didn't utilize him correctly, and they probably could have got a little bit more production out of him. But the only way for him to be able to to fix some of these issues is to be on the court. And if you're not available, you know, what are, what is the organization going to do? They're eventually going to have to move on if if the guy is not able to remain on the court. I, I am pulling for him, though, because theoretically mm-hmm. he does solve so many issues for the team. And, you know, that's the that's always the biggest factor with this guy. There, there's a number of these guys on the Cavs roster, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you're, you're pulling for him. Um, speaking of Kevin Love, you know, referred to him before this. What are your thoughts on his start to the season, man? Because he's really impressed me with his just – it looks like he's completely bought in to his new role. And I think this is – prior to, you know, the the news yesterday, I just – I felt really good about his start to the season. And hopefully, you know, he's able to not miss too much time because I think his impact on the court, although, you know, statistically hasn't been – especially shooting – hasn't been great. The impact that he's provided – you know, as a leader and rebounding still, and he's a very good passer. I I just think that the Cavs can still, can still utilize that. I don't know how long, I don't know if they're going to be able to, you know, kind of revitalize his trade value or if that's even possible at this time, but give me your thoughts on love's begin uh, beginning to the season. I'm encouraged by it. Honestly, like, like you, like you said, I'm surprised he adjusted so well to this bench role so quickly. Um, but it's been good so far. Like you said, his shooting impacts haven't been great, but I think when Kevin Love is on the floor on a night-to-night basis, I think he possesses true three-point gravity. I know same it's thing as Markin. Yeah, yeah, same thing as Markin. But if you put Love on the floor, like teams have to respect the fact that he can hit a three-pointer, and like he will drag defenders out onto the perimeter. And because of that, I think he makes the young players, whether it's Mobley, whether it's mm-hmm. Sexton, whether it's Allen, like players who thrive in the pain at times, that makes their life easier. And I, I like you said, I think. He's adjusted really well to it. I think maybe him more than anything, the most encouraging thing is like one, he's excited to play with Ricky Rubio again. I think that bromance in Minnesota was a little underrated and I, I, I bully on the Cavs at least for not marketing more, marketing it more on social media because like 
when Ricky first spoke to the media for the first time, he said it was a good flex. He's like, well, I was on a yacht in the south of France or something like that. And Kevin called me, but I said, hey, I'm on a boat right now. Can I call you later? He's like, I never called him back, though. I feel really bad. And I'm like, oh, but like that's fun. But I think more than anything, you're getting good vibes from Kevin Love, like you alluded to. Like He's bought into this role, and I think it's weird to think because they clearly brought in Ed Davis to act as – Veteran. One of the veteran presences yeah. in the locker room. He really talked about how he worked with Jared Allen a lot in Brooklyn, and his goal is he's like, oh, I didn't when Jared Allen when they played together in Brooklyn, and Ed Davis said Jared Allen was a hundred million dollar player, but I knew he had the potential to be, so I pushed him. And he said Evan Mobley's a five hundred million dollar player, which if a player makes that much money, goodness <laughs> gracious. But um, Ed Davis was brought in to be a locker room guy. Ricky Rubio was brought in to be a mentor for Darius Garland and to an extent Colin Sexton to be a locker room guy. Um, the Cavs for the longest time hoped Kevin Love could have been that locker room guy, but he, he hasn't for the most part. But so far he has been. And it's weird to say, but he is another key veteran to kind of help steady and right the ship a little bit. And I think, I think the reality of the situation is kicking in where he's like, Okay, I've been kind of a punk. I've been injury prone. I have a really heavy contract. No team really wants to trade for me. It's my last if chance. I, yeah, this is my last chance. If I, I, it's crystal clear the Cavs have moved on from me because not only did they draft a player third overall at my position, but they traded Larry Dance Jr. for another player at my position. They don't really need me at this point. If I'm, I'm saying this from Kevin Love's perspective. So why not be positive about it? Try and be impactful. Like Evan Mobley said that Kevin's worked with him a lot in terms of shooting. So is Lowry. Uh, Lowry, you can see him coaching up him as in Kevin Love coaching up Evan or Jared or Lowry Markkinen or even Colin Sexton. Like he grabs them when they're in timeouts or when they're in huddles and like just tells them like, hey, you did this wrong or hey, like let's work on this or like, hey – try and find me on the floor here or like i'm gonna work with you here like he's trying to be a high positive impact guy but he's still dry and witty and fun like (laughs) um i remember well when ricky rubio had that almost had a dust up with Campazo last week like kevin love was real funny he's like he's just like yeah i saw jeff green about the check-in and i was with the slamming through the table and it was gonna be a royal rumble on the court and i'm like yeah this is fun (laughs) I think like Kevin knows his time in Cleveland's coming to an end. It became crystal clear when they made the moves to move on from him. And according to JV Baker's staff, at least Kevin approached him and said like, Hey, I think it's best for the team. If I come off the bench, I think it's best for the team. If I, we kind of focus on these younger guys, like Kevin is really embracing the situation, which is surprising. Um, because when this all started, he signed that extension and he broke his foot. Mm-hmm. And Colin Sexton was a rookie, and they still had fragments of that 2018 finals team on the roster. And then by the time he came back, George Hill and Kyle Corver are gone. J.R. Smith is exiled. All that's left is Larry, Tristan, uh, Delhi was back, I think, at that. But no, Delhi came back the following season. Gosh, but either there were way, so many moves that year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was the great Kobe Altman teardown, so a lot of moves had to happen. And, I mean, that that's the reality of the situation with the LeBron James team is, like, there's a lot of pieces that are left, and you slowly tear it down. And Yeah. 
Um, like I understand maybe being frustrated with the situation. You're going through growing pains. You go, you lose Ty Lue, you lose Larry Drew's asleep at the wheel. John Bayline isn't the answer. I think JB Pickerstaff's the right coach for this team now. The Cavs had a lot of missteps. I think if you put Truth Serum in Kevin Love and in the organization, they both say they regret signing the extension. I mean, money's money though. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I still don't think a team would trade for him. Um, but I do think maybe if the if this keeps up, maybe the Cavs could find a team next offseason to do it. It's just that $60 million price tag is a really tough pill to swallow over the next two years, especially yeah. when you approach an owner and say, hey, we traded for a guy who is the most expensive bench player in the league. Um, can you go ahead and cut him a check real quick? And we had to give up a quite a few. Because the other problem is, is you have to lump together a lot of contracts oh, to yeah. trade for Kevin Love Imagine too. Unless purposes. you're trading like an, unless you're trading another negative asset for him, and not many I don't know what's going to happen there. You're yeah. not many of those out there. So I think Kevin Love will be here through this season, and then once he's on that last year of his deal next off, starting with like next summer. I think the Cavs then could approach trades or they could just do a buyout with him at that point. And I think I still think a buyout's eventually inevitable because I just mm-hmm. don't think a team justifiably trade for him. But I think if he leaves on good terms, especially with the fans, because I, I wonder um, like when Blake Griffin unloaded the clip on that podcast, and he said, Oh, I read everything Detroit fans said <laughs> about me. I'm just like, yeah. I wonder if Kevin Love reads everything Cleveland fans say about him. But I, I think Right now, in this moment, we have good vibes, Kevin Love, and I yeah. hope it stays. And I hope, like I said, I, it's hard for me to, I, it's hard for me to believe I'm actually saying this, but he is now a key veteran for this young team, and I hope that maintains. Oh man, I couldn't agree with you more, and and pretty much everything you said. The the tale of Kevin Love is kind of a sad one in Cleveland. It is. Um, you know, he's so much potential coming over and we knew that he was going to eventually be the third fiddle, you know, in the big three, uh, with Kyrie and LeBron. And when time came for both of those two to move on and love was the last really big piece of that championship team, you kind of knew the writing was on the wall, but that the contract money. Is, isn't that up. weird though, to think that he was the guy who was always floated in trade rumors and he was, and he's quite literally the last member of the championship team standing Weird, man like i thought you know honestly i thought tristan thompson would have outlived kevin love so did I. in cleveland just because you know he was really beloved uh in the cleveland area and obviously they moved on from him for the right reasons um but in the case of love that is very strange so he went through all of these trade rumors only to still remain <laughs> the last yeah. uh the last piece and you know i will forever be grateful for his contributions to that title team you know he didn't statistically love did not contribute a lot during that uh during that finals run but he was a key piece in game seven especially defensively mm-hmm. um during the, the actual championship season but Absolutely. i am I, i'm liking what i'm seeing out of him I, i'm wondering how much of that actually has to do with the Cavs winning and, and how long that will carry on but you know for now it's you working. sound like me. You're like <laughs> the voice in the back of your head's like, yeah, he's positive right now, but when they're losing, is he gonna have another meltdown? Like, I seriously, hope I, not. I hope not. Yeah, it's 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 just as possible that the blowups, you know, resurface if the Cavs begin to lose games through stretches. But uh, for now, it's encouraging. He looks bought in, and I going into the season, I kind of thought to myself, this is the perfect role for him. 
to at least, you know, keep him healthy. And by all accounts right now, he seems to be uh, contributing and heading in the right direction in that regard. And I, I too wonder, you know, what his, uh, what his perception of Cleveland is going to be when his time is over. <laughs> I hope it's not the Blake Griffin, uh, the Blake Griffin yeah. route, but you never truly know. He's just so witty. <laughs> yeah. He, Kevin Love press conferences are fun. Like, uh, I don't know, man. Like he's so dry and honest and he can, you can tell when he's lying sometimes and you're like, Oh, Oh man. What, what's going that. on? But like, they're like, what was like, let's say the Cavs had a bad loss two years ago. They're mm-hmm. like, well, Kevin, what happened? And he's like, well, we put up like shit. What do you expect <laughs> me to say? And I'm like, you know, I appreciate the blunt honesty. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, because you don't get that out of so many players, especially young guys out there. Yeah, young but, guys are like, oh, man, we tried our best, but look, we'll get them next time. Kevin Love's like, no, nah, dude, we played like shit. Like, what do you expect of me to say? Kevin Love just doesn't give a fuck sometimes. Exactly. I mean, that, that, that's exactly how it is. And I, you do have to appreciate his candor, um, you know, from time to time when it's not over the top. But, uh, I mean, you were at Cavs Media Day. You you saw, you know, uh, him give that uh, – his time at the podium you know you never really know what's true and what's not true in regards to him yeah yeah um i i appreciate him being honest about the jerry colangelo situation during media day or he's just said listen i want to move on from it like I've, I've made my piece i've said what i wanted to say like let's move past it like he'll just tell you how it is sometimes and then i i still worry about the calf he says it's healthy the calves say it's healthy but it was originally an Achilles injury, and those two go hand in hand with one another. It clearly impacted his time with Team USA. Um, so maybe this limited role, like you said, is really good for his health too because calf injuries can be kind of a ticking time bomb for players. And if you're a player like Kevin Love who has next to no athleticism to begin with at this point, uh, an Achilles injury would be pretty much career-ending for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There's, uh, I think it would be uh, close to calling it the the uh the end at that point um yeah. let's shift gears here for a moment i just want to get your honest opinion on something uh, if you don't feel inclined to answer this question i'm not oh, going to force you into it um based upon the start to the season that colin sexton has had i mean from a statistical standpoint pretty much all it's down across the board um and i think this was to be expected especially when you're not expecting him to do have to do as much as a primary ball handler and as a scorer but i guess my question for you my friend would be do you think the Cavs have been vindicated and kind of waiting this whole contract process out just purely based upon the play on the court through eight games it's tough man because i'm comfortable talking about this like yeah if you look at his numbers his touches are down uh, his overall looks are down, but my my buddy Chris Manning makes a good point of pointing this out too, where if you look at the game against the Clippers, there are times where the Cavs are like, okay, Colin, call your number on an isolation play where Colin just dribble the air out of the ball, and then he becomes the primary focus of an opposing defense, and then it, the play it opens other guys apart. up. Yeah, yeah, it opens other guys up, but at the same time, like sometimes Colin does get a little bit of tunnel vision oh, to, yeah. still. Yeah where he doesn't really see the defense breaking down around him. But there's times he does, too, like where it's really encouraging, where I say one of my favorite plays the Cavs run is they have a cutter, whether it's Mobley. Sometimes it's Sexton even cutting as well. But, like, the Cavs will break down a defense – or, sorry, not Mobley, Allen. But 
and uh, Mobley's at the elbow where like it's either Garland or Sexton initiating to Mobley and then they throw it to a cutter along the baseline. Like it's such a simple play, but I'm like, you know, this is simple and it works because the Cavs don't run simple plays sometimes. Sometimes they just <laughs> run one read and then the offense breaks down. But yeah. my counterpoint to everyone kind of wringing their hands about Colin Sexton is he's putting – he's this is probably his most productive season so far. Um, I agree. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree maybe with Jason Lloyd's take long term, but I don't want to put a firm cap on any of these players because nothing is for sure set in stone yet. Right. Like in terms of these young core pieces, the only one who is guaranteed to be here long term, at least unless he's traded, is Jared Allen because he just signed a contract extension. I'd say right. Evan Mobley is a pretty safe candidate too because they just drafted him, but – Sexton could be traded. Okoro could be traded. Garland could be traded. Markin and Agewife fits in. He could be traded as well. Mm-hmm. Let's say a superstar tomorrow says, I want to go team up with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You could bundle any of these guys together. So I'm they not necessarily going to put a cap on any of these guys yet until I know, like, okay, they're going to be here long term. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out their overall fit. And like I talked about before, JB is a firm believer that he wants to put the five best players on the floor at any given moment. And yeah, there's times Sexton isn't closing games and things like that. And it's really, really tough about what is and isn't going to happen. But I think JB just also plays with the pulse of the team too. Like I, there's a lot of lineup and roster versatility too. Like he, the people mm-hmm. complain about, them running two point guard sets with Garland and Rubio at times. And I say at the same time, they're playing three bigs who probably can't initiate an offense on their own. It makes more sense to put two point guards on the floor with them because then you have two initiators who can run an offense while the other one plays off ball, who also Mm -hmm. provides a tertiary playmaking threat. And if it's Garland, a spacing threat. I think JB is still kind of figuring things out. I still think it's too small of a sample size to really say. I know like eight to ten games is kind of that sweet spot to say like, okay, this is working. This isn't working. We need to make mm-hmm. some changes and evaluations. But I think Sexton's playing well. I think if he plays within the offense, he's playing fast. Like Sexton in the open floor on the fast break is damn near unguardable. You don't want to like, see you that saw guy. That. Yeah. You don't. And like you saw it against the Clippers where he was just busting out past LA every single time on the fast break because – LA is one of the worst defensive teams on the fast break and Colin Mm -hmm. exploited that mismatch for sure. And there's a lot of fun stuff there. He's the most entertaining player on a night to night basis for the Cavs because you just don't know what you're going to get with Colin Sexton, but he shattered every preconceived notion about him. Cause I like to jokingly remind people that when he was coming out of Alabama, the player he was compared to most was Eric Bledsoe because Mm -hmm. of his defensive potential and his lack of shooting. And I said, now that we're year four of the Colin Sexton experience, he has completely flipped that bolt on its back and shattered it because Sexton has the God-given ability to play defense. He plays with hustle and tenacity oh, yeah. for sure, but he can shoot. He can shoot really well. Um, he's an elite three-level scorer. His offensive game keeps getting better and better. I think the biggest development for him recently is he's using that physicality and speed to draw fouls and draw contact and get to the free throw line, which is even more fun. But it's it's tough man because people think i'm a colin sexton hitter i'm not he's one of my favorite players to watch on a night-to-night basis um i root he's a player i root for uh people mm-hmm. think that i said two years ago maybe he's a six man and then i kind of mm-hmm. walked that stance back thinking like you know 
I'm not going to put a cap on this team because like I said, no one's guaranteed to be here long-term. Like I don't think anyone's really set in stone other than Jared Allen. I mean, Jared Allen could still very realistically oh, be traded yeah. if the Cavs think, Hey, Evan Mobley's our five in the future. And we don't think he works at Jared Allen, but thankfully that tandem works. So I think this year is an evaluation period. It's tough mm-hmm. last year because the team was playing in empty arenas. COVID was impacting everything. It was a compressed schedule. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I think the Cavs will firmly evaluate everything. Mm-hmm. And then we'll say, okay, well, let's sign Collins Sexton X amount of dollars. Darius Garland's extension eligible. Hopefully they lock him up sooner instead of later because I don't think you want to have to deal with this situation two years in a row. We'll just kind of <laughs> get this all locked up and figured out. Do I think Collins a max player? No. But do I think he could be betting on himself this year? Yeah. Because I, from what I heard, it was he was offered a contract worth about 18 to 20 million annually as the base. Mm-hmm. And then with incentives, it could get up to about 25 million annually, which isn't a bad offer. But if you want to bet on yourself and try and make for more, go for it. But I, I've read the conspiracies that like <laughs> JB is intentionally sabotaging. Yeah. Sabotaging and minimizing Collins touches in order to have the Cavs get him on a cheaper contract or like affect his financial future. And like the media is playing a part in it. Yeah. All to say this, like full stop, the media has no impact on any of these decisions teams make. Like they read this stuff and like they'll read what the outside noise is. I'm sure the they time you have, it, yeah. I know, but like they laugh at it and, the only impact I think if I was a voting member I would have for Colin Sexton is if he had incentives in his contract to make like all NBA or like all-star stuff or MVP voting or things like that. That's the only time like the media comes in play and that's very seldom happens because a lot of players don't like those incentives because they can be pretty unfair. Like there can be some pretty freaky ones, but I'm not too worried about Colin. I think the offense is still figuring itself out. Um, Jared Allen said it the other day when they were playing Atlanta, and he's like, we're still playing one or two steps faster than we need to, and we're still settling in and figuring things out. And I think the same goes for Colin. Like, Darius missed two games. He looked a step behind for a little bit running the offense. I still think he's trying to find his comfort level of getting everyone involved while also being a shooter and a threat for the perimeter in terms of scoring as well too. And I think the same goes for Colin. Like he's just trying to do the best by his teammates and not frustrate everybody. Yeah. But at the same time still produce. And again, like, yeah, he's touching it less, but he's producing way better. If you look at it, like oh, that's yeah, my yeah. counter argument is everyone's like, Oh, he's hardly touching the ball. I'm like, yeah, but he's still scoring at the same rate. Like he usually is. Indeed. Yeah. I think with him, you know, and you hit on it a few times and what you just said, I think that in regards to evaluating him, it's going to be a fluid process this year. You know, it's very difficult to slap a label on the guy uh, this early based upon what we've seen. And so that's completely understandable. Um, When he does touch the ball, he's trying to make the most out of it. And he legitimately looks like he's trying to get his teammates involved. Um, The assist numbers are kind of, they're not as telling as they would indicate. You know, he, he really, he's had a lot of potential assists out there. A couple of beautiful passes. But I think he is being fairly productive with uh, what's what's going on. If you if you're all over Cavs Twitter like I am, I, mean, I try to uh, I try not to let I, a lot of that. I try to keep it cool. I mean, yeah, I, and I and I, everything that I've seen from you appears that way. And I don't know why people like to point the finger at you in that regard in regards to Colin because. It's, I leaned in. I know why. I leaned into a villain bit for like a solid month, where I just like would like 
joke about it and everyone's like dude you gotta stop and then <laughs> i took like a tweet i took like a little mental health break from twitter and then i came back reporting like teams that were interested in trading for him mm-hmm. and it was the knicks it was the heat uh the thunder oklahoma city still pretty interested in trading for him because they like his pairing with shea overall but yeah people are like dude you need to stop you're just trolling i'm like no i'm actually not i'm just working <laughs> <laughs> And then I learned this nifty feature where you can just shut off any and all notifications from people who you don't follow. So, like, that's how I feel back. Like, I didn't follow you back for a while. And then, like, you DM me asking me to come on the show. And, like, I wish I came on sooner because this has been great. But it's mostly based off a take I made two years ago. And um, just the hardcore sexting fans who will not let it go. And it is what it is, man. Like, you whatever you guys are free to think what you want but i can use my energy in so much more productive ways than fighting everybody online indeed man and i've like i myself i've gotten into a couple of them myself and i've tried not to it it very is uh really is very hard not to and i might have to do some of the same things that you just alluded to but man yeah i i think you have to you have to judge colin sexton fluidly and me I am, you know, I would like to consider myself, um, you know, a, a pro Sexton, <laughs> kind of a pro Sexton guy, but I have to look at things logically. And I think what the Cavs have been able to do thus far and the way that they've been able to utilize him probably is better off for him in the long run. If you're, if you ask me, I mean, that's just my opinion on it. And I get it. And there are, going to continue to be conspiracy theorists out there in regards to his play and his, his it's time wild, man. it's <laughs> wild like that, that's that's such a new one i'm like yeah let's let's hamstring a 20 something year old financially but not letting him get touches like no yeah. dude that's a, such a disservice of the coach to not let his best player get the best looks and uh, I had to walk away from my phone for a little bit on that. I'm just like, I'm just gonna put my phone down real quick. Yeah, just, I mean, just walk away. They're winning, Doesn't, you know. They're winning games, and I think yeah. that that is what takes precedence at this point in time. Oh man, you got Nalani. I love those things. <laughs> I love them too. They're good yeah, for you. They're not like definitely. Yeah, sorry. No, you're good. Uh, just quick, to, I had to cut away there for a moment from the uh, from the Colin Sexton stuff, but it's always heavy. So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed um I, for him who knows what's gonna happen you know time will tell how this kind of plays out I, i'm really hoping the best for him but it at the same time above all i'm hoping the best for the caps and so whatever yeah. is best for them uh in that regard i hope the kind of interest the line they're able to kind of work something out that benefits both sides but you know i can't complain right now the the yeah. the, the team's winning they're they're utilizing him i think the best way that they can I think the biggest complaint in regards to that is the what seems to be JB's reluctance to roll Sexton out there in the closing units. I, I think that's what's getting a lot of these uh, these uh, conspiracy theorists. But it's working. It's working, but it is it does make you wonder sometimes. Too. It does because yeah, because you're like Sexton is the one of their more gifted offensive players. We had a list listener point out last night because he plays hard on defense. He too. does. Like he, Especially this season, like credit where credit's due, Collins playing really well on defense this year at times. Like there's times where he gets blown past, so there's times and that's just the problem of being a smaller guard. You're just lighter, and if you get crushed on a pit, uh, on a screen, it is what it is. But right. 
it was interesting last night and made me raise an eyebrow because we had a listener pointed out and I thought about it for a brief second, but in the closing moments against Charlotte, JB subbed calling out for Jetty Osmond on a defensive possession. That is so not I, that's indefensible. I gotta say that, that. that's that's weird. It was weird. Because Jetty Osmond is not a good defender. Like if you watch his feet on a get night to night basis, you'll see quickly he's not a good defender. But I don't know, man. Maybe he's trying to keep Colin a little fresh, let him get a couple gulps of air for the invert, a quick bucket. But, like, it is interesting. I think it's just a lot of tinkering right now. JB is a coach who likes to tinker with things and try things, different things out. I think the three big lineup being his biggest, like, brain, his biggest brainchild to come from this production. But there's times I'm encouraged to because I think if you pair Sexton and Rubio together, it's a pretty good unit, right? Like it's a good oh, yeah. tandem right there. And mm-hmm. like if like I understand the approach of subbing Colin out early so you can kind of have him come back in with the bench unit towards the end of the first quarter and the early second quarter. Like people get paranoid about that too. But not having him close, that is it is interesting. And I I need to see more of what the Cavs are closing with before I really ask JD what's going on in those scenarios. But it mm-hmm. is definitely something I've I've taken notice of as well, where I'm like, huh, Colin isn't closing a lot of these games. That's interesting because he's their best free throw shooter. He's really handy in closing moments, especially in tight games. I'm curious why he's not on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes you raise your eyebrow. I've spoken about this on a a number of episodes uh, to begin the season, but I'm just not. Like you said, we have to see more of it. We we have to see them, you know, kind of figure things out. And some of this is on, you know, the fact that the game flow, whatever, you know, however the game is being dictated. Sometimes you're, if you're seeing a game out of hand, as often the case, you know, on this West Coast trip, you saw that against Phoenix. The game got out of hand early. They figured they'd probably get some guys some rest. Garland had high minutes, but Mobley Allen and uh, Sexton, you know, their minute totals were, were fairly low in that regard. And so that's when the, uh, the Turpins seem to seem to get it at all time high in that regard, in regards to the Sexton uh, conspiracy theorists, but this is against Phoenix, he said, yes, yes. Against. Yeah. Phoenix. I, that's uh, when it I, I, t- to I took the night place. off to enjoy a, a quiet evening in with my significant other for our Halloween. So I'm glad I wasn't around. For that. Oh man. Yeah. I you be glad you weren't because that's when it really got to a fever pitch. And I'm just like, you have to take it with a grain of salt. It, it it looked bad. It was a head scratcher. People are saying Sexton kind of gave up. You know, he he kind of quit on the team. And I'm, I'm like, no, I don't see it that yeah. way. They they were on the second half of a back-to-back. The guys needed rest. It, 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 the brutal West Coast trip. There's just so many different factors. So, Oh, for sure. And Phoenix also just made the NBA Finals last exactly. year. We can't, we can't discredit them for that. And this, that that's a good segue into my last question of the day for you, man. And, and is that uh, that is based upon what you've seen from them thus far? Have you adjusted your expectations moving forward, or is this sample size too small for you? Like, do you think where where did you have them finishing at to uh, to close this season? Oh gosh, I I'm trying to think off the top of my head what I had, and I'm actually going to look this up as we talk because I I, I shared. Um, you can hear me typing in the background. Here. It's all good. Um, I think I had Cleveland. Oh, I had them 13, finishing 13th in the East. And my order was Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, Indiana, New York, Charlotte, Washington, Toronto, Cleveland. And then after that, Detroit and Orlando. 
my view process of the Eastern Conference overall is still Orlando and Detroit aren't trying to win. I think Orlando is more interesting than Detroit because they have just a lot of good young guards on that team. But Mm -hmm. the other 13 teams are trying to win, Cleveland included. Like the Cavs aren't trying to actively tank. Like (laughs) losing becomes a stench you cannot quite wash out unless you completely rip things down to the roots and rebuild. So you got to build a culture that is conducive to winning. You got to build a culture that is encouraging winning instead of saying like, you know what, we're going to try our best, but in the closing moments, we're all out of line. That makes no sense. Like JB rolls out taco fall, bring up the ball. He did that. The preseason is not going to really do it unless it's an right. absolute blowout. So I think my viewpoint of the Cavs at the beginning of the season is they're a bad team that is going to try hard on a night-to-night basis, and they are going to win some games. I think their betting line was 26.5, and I said I'd smash the under on that one. I say about 25, 26 games for the year is their absolute cap. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel comfortable in thinking that that could be the case because it's still too small of a sample size and there's probably some teams still playing into shape. But with how well they played on the West Coast road trip, they went three and two on that West Coast road, mostly West Coast road trip. They finished it in Charlotte. Like that's pretty right. impressive. Um, like they responded to their first test of adversity well. I think they're going to be in the mix for the playing tournament. I think it's going to be between them. It's going to be between them, Toronto, New York. Indiana, I think, is going to figure it out eventually, though, so we'll see what happens there. Philadelphia is a bit of a wild card as well. I thought they do with Ben Simmons, too, because that situation could get uglier again fast. But yeah. I think they'll be in the hunt for the play, and I don't think they'll be a playoff team necessarily just because the rest of the conference got better. And like Naturally, Brooklyn's going to get better once Kyrie gets vaccinated, and I think KD <laughs> and Harden get comfort- more and more comfortable with one another. And like Milwaukee knows how to win. Atlanta... I think they're a move away as well. I think maybe if they figure out what's going on with Cam Reddish, maybe if they flip him for more positive assets as well, like they could be really scary. Like Miami is odd, but they're going to grind people into dust. Boston's interesting. Chicago's so good, and I'm feeling good about being bullish on the Bulls finally. And I I think the Cavs will be in the thick of the play-in. I think their biggest test will be in January when they are back on the West Coast and they play five teams in seven nights, including like Golden State, Sacramento, San Antonio. Like some of those teams aren't great, but they're on the same page as Cleveland where – They play hard. They play hard. That's that's all it is. Like Oklahoma City is probably the easiest team in that lineup or in that grouping right there. And they play Utah as well, which like historically Cleveland has not played well in. So I think they're going to be in the hunt for the playing tournament this year. Um, We'll see what happens. I think I need a larger sample size and maybe like (laughs) mid-December, late December, early January. Like I'll firmly say like, okay, this Cavs team's either with it or they're not because the Cavs could also make some moves too. They could move Rubio. They could say like Kevin Love could be done for the year. They could trade him or something like that or let him go. Like there's a lot of stuff that could still happen between now and when maybe I make my firm evaluation. But like right now, I've been pleasantly surprised with the results. I think Evan Mobley is a lot further along than I thought he would be. Um, the playmaking just really juices me on his potential. I think Garland is looking pretty good. I think the Rubio edition has been seamless. I think Kevin Love has looked really great off the bench for them. Jared Allen has lived up to every penny of that $100 million he earned. So I, I'm intrigued to see where they're headed next. I think they're a fun team. I think offensively, they're a lot more aesthetically pleasing to watch some nights. Some nights, it's still pretty sloggy, but most nights, it's better. 
So I'm enjoying the experience so far. And I'm just like, we talked about this before we started recording. Like I just want competency and stability for this Cavs team. We're only five years removed from the championship at this point, And that's one of the best moments of my life. I'll still say that. So yeah, I'm okay. If the Cavs aren't like an immediate title threat, but if they're, they're the work the way back up. And like we talked about with like the Kevin love contract situation, it's, it's an untenable position to build out of the shadow of LeBron James, especially after he leaves your franchise and ruins for the second time. And I think the Cavs are on the right path. I just think they need to remain patient and stay the course. That is an excellent way to put it. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. I think that, uh, you know, as I said before, the expectations for this for this team have to be judged fluidly, you know, moving forward. They've they they appear to be a little bit ahead of schedule in regards to a lot of what a lot of people had them pegged as to begin season, specifically, you know, the development of guys like uh Mobley. You know, you just didn't quite know what to expect. Uh, with him against NBA caliber competition once the season started. Um, there was a lot of caveats in regards to that. You know, people are really feeling like, hey, where's what's this guy's best fit? You know, is the weight going to be able to translate over? Well, is he going to be able to play as impactful as he did, you know, within the preseason and summer league early on? So I don't know. Uh, for me, you know, I, I've been very high on this team. I do have them finishing as a play-in, playoff, you know, contender. I think they are very far away from title contention. I'll say that. Oh, for sure. Um, but we haven't seen, you know, the the last of the roster moves. I think we will see a move or two. And as much as I hate to uh, to admit the fact that moving Rubio could probably uh, would would probably hurt me <laughs> deep down, just mm-hmm. because. Going from uh, Matthew Delvadova, God bless, you know, I, I love Delhi, uh, and Damian Dotson minutes last season to Ricky Rubio has been like a complete 180. The, 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 the look is just completely different. And so until the Cavs have a solid, you know, contributor that, that can be replaced, that can replace Rubio, I just, I don't know. I, I hope they don't move on from him, but time will well, tell. Well, dude, it's, it's wild to think, man, that, how desperately the Cavs need a competent, not competent, but a stable, I should say, backup behind Darius Garland because they tried Della Vadova and Dante Exum for about two years. And oh, Rubio made so, like, yes, losing Torian Prince hurts and he's playing some okayish minutes in Minnesota right now. But I think the Rubio addition is going to do a lot more good than harm when at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think it'd be tough too. And like, I joke with my co host, Chris Manny, about this, but. I don't buy jerseys often, but if I ever end up at Coachella, I think a sneaky option would be the Cavs City Edition Ricky Rubio jersey. Just like a novelty item to say, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a real fan. I watch Ricky Rubio and appreciated what he brought to this team. I mean, it's the impact is so evident already eight games in. It's it's astounding. Just Can you imagine how many games the Cavs might have uh, been able to squeak out last season with Rubio in town? I just, I don't know. It might have bumped them up a few games. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think he just gives the it's he's saying all the right things. It's really encouraging. Like Brian Windhorst said he didn't expect to be traded to <laughs> Cleveland. He expected to be traded to a contender. I can vouch for that. He did expect to end up with like one of the LA teams at the end of the day. I think the Clippers were where he really ultimately wanted to end up, but Instead of just kind of being down about the situation, he's making the most of it. Um, mm-hmm. He is a bit of a guard whisperer in a sense where he's like, listen, <laughs> I played with Devin Booker. I played with Donovan Mitchell. 
I played with Anthony Edwards, and Anthony Edwards has said like Ricky Rubio is the best veteran or like thing player I've ever played, teammate I've ever had in terms of a leader. I think the most encouraging thing with Rubio is is he knows Darius Garland had a very good season last year, and he said the hardest thing isn't repeating that or having another good season. It's having a better season than he did prior than that. And he's like, and my job is to make sure Darius does that. So like Ricky knows what his role is with this team. And he's not really going to step out of line and say like, Hey, JB, I should be starting over Darius or I should be starting over Colin. Like he's never going to ruffle any feathers or disrupt the flow of the locker room. Yeah. He just wants to make a positive impact. And I think having adults in the room like that is so helpful for a young team like this. Yeah. The Cavs really, really have been benefiting from that. And, you know, to a lesser extent, love playing the same type of role as a mentor this season. So been very encouraging i really hope that he isn't moved but the possibility you know remains i'm glad that he's you know played the role of mentor so well thus far but we'll we'll have to see uh with that being said i'm going to go ahead and close out today's episode as i said to begin if you are not a subscriber of write down euclid make sure that you smash that subscribe button right away because you're missing some very very good content have a good day